Well, good morning. It's great to be with you this morning. And if you are a guest with us, we thank God for you. We rejoice that you are here. And if I haven't met you yet, I'm Will Davis. I serve as the campus pastor up at our Stone Oak campus. And so I'm not here too often, so it's always a, a great gift uh, to be with you on a Sunday morning. And this is always a very exciting Sunday as we get to celebrate what God has done in the hearts of our young people. And I do want to say once again a very special thank you to Belva and, and Sarah and Mariana and Aura and Michelle and Kim and Karen and Christy, all of the children's ministry staff, the VBS Lee team, the assembly team, and to the 420 volunteers who have made this week possible. Can we show them our appreciation one more time? And to the 545-plus kids who joined us for VBS and who may be here today with your family or up at the Stone Oak campus, we thank God for you, and we love you. You all are very precious to us. And to the 55 children who placed their faith in Christ alone and decided to follow after him, we are very proud of each one of you. And we will pray for you as you begin this walk with Christ. We pray for God's strength to fill you. Because as we learned this past week at VBS, life can be difficult. As we learn, life can be unfair. It can be scary. Things change. We can be sad at times and disappointed. Life is also great, as we talked about on Friday. But through it all, through the seasons of life, we can hold on to the truth that God is good no matter what. He has your very best in mind. He is for you and he loves you with an unfailing love. And for the next four weeks, we will be in a little summer sermon series on the Psalms. Specifically, the Psalms that speak to the seasons of life. You may be seeking God's forgiveness. And a penitential psalm like we'll see next week in Psalm 51 may be that which ministers to you. You may be walking through a season of loss, a winter of sadness and discouragement, and perhaps a psalm of lament like Psalm 73 will speak to your heart. You may be in a season of great spiritual growth, a spring season of new beginnings where God is teaching you from his word and a wisdom psalm like Psalm 1 will be an encouragement to you. But there is a type of psalm that is appropriate for any and every season of life, and that is a psalm of praise and thanksgiving. If God has you in a season of despair or rejoicing, a season of spiritual barrenness or one of great abundance, we can turn to these psalms of praise to lift us up no matter our circumstance. 
whether God has you in the pit or the peak, facing discouragement or delight, receiving a diagnosis or a diploma, in the delivery room or the funeral home, we can still praise God. And when we don't feel like we have the strength to go on, God can still lift up our eyes to him in praise. And we are going to see why that is today in Psalm 100. Psalm 100 is a, is a shorter psalm, and perhaps because of its size and its joyous nature, it has become one of the most beloved psalms. And since it's short, let's read it aloud together, and we'll have it up on the screen as well. Let's read Psalm 100. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good and his loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. Let's pray. Father God, would you fill us with this joy today, a supernatural joy that comes from you alone. As one author wrote, let joy be the flag that flies over our hearts, announcing that the king is in residence today. But Father, I also know that some have come into this room and they're carrying a burden of pain and discouragement. I've already heard from people today that are awaiting surgeries and facing physical struggles, emotional hurt. But Father, we trust in this joy that comes from knowing you and knowing the good things that come from your hand. So minister this joy, this truth, and your promises to us today. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. I had the privilege last month of attending Pastor Jason Upmore's graduation. He was just up here praying and I went to his graduation from Dallas Theological Seminary, and it was a great time of, of celebration with Jason, his wife Rachel, and the whole family, and it will be very exciting as Jason is officially ordained and commissioned for the work of the gospel right up here from this platform later this summer, and that'll be on August the 18th, so we'll look forward to that Sunday. But at Jason's graduation, the commencement speaker, Dr. Jack Graham from Prestonwood Church, painted a humorous picture of how we view the seasons of life. When we are under the age of 10, we often use fractions when telling others our age. We might be 8, but we can't wait to be 9. So we say that we are what? 8.5. And then we become teenagers, and we really want to add on to our years. I'm 14, but I'm going on 16. And then you finally become 21. 
you have arrived. The prime of life, so we think. But then you blink and you turn 30. Like an overripe piece of fruit, you turn 30. And then before you know it, you are pushing 40. And life is speeding up. And then you reach 50. And perhaps you think, it's all downhill from here. <laughs> but then you make it to 60. You just make it. So you become 21, you turn 30, you push 40, you reach 50, and then you make it to 60. And then you build up so much momentum that you hit 70. <laughs> and you can feel it. And after that, it's pretty much a day-to-day -day thing. You hit Wednesday. And then in your 80s, every day seems to start the same cycle. You hit lunch. It turns 4.30. And then you reach bedtime. And in your 90s, you start going backwards. I was just 92. But then if you reach 100, the double overtime of life you start all over again, and you go back to what you said when you were a kid. I'm 102 and a half. <laughs> but you know, despite our age, whether we're eight and a half or 102 and a half, despite the age or the stage, regardless of the season of life, we are called to praise God. We are called to worship Him. And it seems that several lessons on worship can be pulled from these five verses of Psalm 100, a psalm of praise. Lesson one, our worship is to be joyful, and it's not to be about us, but for the Lord. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. This psalm is known as the jubilate, which means, oh, be joyful. Because it's joy-filled worship and living for the king and serving the Lord that is at the heart of this psalm. The whole earth is called to shout for joy. And it's not for our sake, but it's for the Lord's sake. Whenever we worship, that could be a shout or a whisper or a silent cry. Whatever that looks like, we should be drawn to praise, not because of the situation or anything going on around us. But we should worship because of the joy of Christ that is within us. We worship God not as a means to something else. We worship as an end to itself. For His delight. For His glory. And worship is so much more than a song or a prayer or reading God's word. Worship is connecting our hearts to God's heart. 
drawing our heart near to his. And if worship involves a heart that is aligned with God's heart, then joy will be present despite the circumstance. And it's this joy from the Lord that we see here in verse 1 that then gives rise to joyful acts in verse 2, acts of service and singing. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. It's this joy of the Lord that you compel us to singing and serving. On both campuses this morning, we've had our, our young people up here leading us in the kind of joyful singing that we see here in verse 2. And our young people serving throughout the week have not only exemplified service, but serving the Lord with gladness. You'd be hard-pressed to find someone here or around campus who didn't exude the joy of the Lord. And I saw many of our volunteers displaying that joy, that excitement for God that was so contagious, and we were drawn to it. And it should be this place, it should be this place of worship that is the most genuine place where joy and laughter and excitement for God belongs. As G.K. Chesterton once said, joy is the gigantic secret of the Christian life. One of my heroes of the faith is this little Dutch woman by the name of Corrie Ten Boom. And many of you are probably familiar with her story. Corrie and her father were watchmakers in Holland during World War II. And the Ten Boom family helped many Jews escape the Holocaust by hiding them in their family home. But the Gestapo, the Nazi secret police, discovered their hiding place and raided their home on February the 28th, 1944. And 40 people were arrested from the home, including Corey, her father, two sisters, and her brother. And Corey and her sister Betsy were eventually sent to Ravensbrück concentration camp. And as Corey and Betsy are led into the barracks, Corey writes this in her book, the hiding place. Our noses told us first that the place was filthy. Somewhere plumbing had backed up. The bedding was soiled and rancid. Then as our eyes adjusted to the gloom, we saw that there were no individual beds at all, but great square piers stacked three high and wedged side by side and end to end. And then something pinched my leg. Fleas, I cried. Betsy, this place is swarming with fleas. Betsy, how can we live in such a place? And Betsy said, God has the answer. Before we ask, he always does. We saw it in the Bible this morning. And Corey glanced around to make sure no guard was in sight. And then she drew out her Bible and turned to 1 Thessalonians 5.16 and read in what seemed the darkest place possible. Rejoice always. Pray constantly. Give thanks in all circumstances. 
for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. And then Betsy said, as they looked around the dark, foul-aired room, let's give thanks right now for all that is around us. Thank you, Lord, that our Bible wasn't discovered in the inspection. Thank you for this overcrowded room for all of these women who will meet you, Lord, in the pages of Scripture. And we also thank you for the fleas. Corey did not agree with that last part of Betsy's prayer. But for the next four months, the sisters were able with surprising freedom to share the word of God with the other women in the barracks and see many come to faith in Christ. And then one day, Betsy says to Corey, now I know why we've been given so much freedom in our Bible studies. The guards never come into the barracks. They don't even step through the doors because of the fleas. And then I remembered Betsy's thanks to God for these creatures I could see no use for. Soon after, Betsy got sick. And some of her final words to her sister Corey were these. There is no pit so deep that God's love and joy are not deeper still. Joy is not optional. Joy is not optional for the believer in Christ. It is essential to the Christian life and a command for all those who follow him. And we see the command right here. Serve the Lord with gladness. Not with clenched teeth or a closed fist. No, we serve with gladness, with a smile and an open hand. God, use me as you see fit. I want to serve you and your people, and I choose joy as I do so. And we have many, many examples of this kind of serving the Lord with gladness here in our church. But as I thought about that phrase, serve the Lord with gladness, the face of Jan Wagner came to my mind. Jan is now with the Lord, but echoes of her joyful service and spirit still reverberate among us today. Wow, did Jan serve our children and our families with joy. And it wasn't an artificial joy. Jan fought cancer for many years, but every Sunday she faithfully taught our young people God's word and showed them the love of Christ. Did she always feel happiness as she endured the treatments and the discomfort? I'm sure not. But there was still a joy there, not based on feelings, but from the Lord Jesus that filled her heart each and every day. And it's servants like these, like Jan, that inspire me as I walk through difficult seasons of life and ministry. Number two, our worship is based on a knowledge of who God is and who we are in light of him. Knowing that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Along with the joy of Christ, what compels us to worship should be a knowledge of God. 
not just knowing about him, but truly knowing him as our triune God. Knowing him as our loving, good father. Knowing Christ as our Lord and Savior. Knowing the Spirit as our indwelling guide and counselor. Knowing and holding fast to the promises of his word. God's truth leads us to joyful praise. It brings about a delight in him. True joy flows out of a true knowledge of God and his love for us. The same is true in marriage. There are days in in my marriage when I may not be feeling all of the lovey-dovey, kissy-kissy emotions. But that is not what drives my marriage. What keeps me committed to my wife in marriage is not based on feelings, but it's bound in a promise. A promise before God. A covenant with Him. My marriage is fueled on the knowledge of the vows and the promises I made to Kara almost 20 years ago. Promises to love and keep her. To cherish her. To honor and protect her. To be faithful and devoted to her and her alone till death do us part. Yes, our marriage does fill us with great emotions of happiness and elation because of the companionship and the shared life that we do have together. But there are also seasons of sadness and discouragement and disappointment and loss. Loss of a brother in the year 2000. Loss of a child, 2002. Loss of a mother, 2012. We experience heartache and discouragement together that won't show up on the Facebook feed. But it's trusting in God's promises. His love for us. Staying true to our vows that give us the strength and the joy to praise God as we walk through these difficult seasons. Likewise, it's God's greatness. It's God's glory and a knowledge of him that we see in verse 3 that enables us to endure and compels us to worship. Knowing who God is, he is our creator God. Knowing who we are, we are his children. We are not self-made individuals. He created us. We are the sheep of his pasture. We are his sons and daughters, and he cares for us. And when we worship, we acknowledge who God is and who we are in light of him. Dependent sheep in need of our shepherd, the Lord Jesus, to guide us and at times to carry us. And when I know and affirm these truths about God and my identity in Christ, what then flows out of my heart and my mind are joyous affections and praise of him. Three, our worship flows from a joyful attitude of thanksgiving and praise to God for his goodness and his faithfulness. Verse four, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. The psalmist calls the Israelites to enter the gates of Jerusalem with thanksgiving in their hearts and then to enter the temple courtyard 
with praise on their lips. When we come to worship, we should worship with great gratitude. And we see the reason why in verse 5. For the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. And his faithfulness is to all generations. We saw in verse 2 that we serve God gladly because he is the creator. And now in verses 4 and 5, we worship him thankfully because as we saw at VBS, God is good and he is faithful. Unfortunately, some come to worship when things are just going well in life. But our circumstances are not what should bring us into his gates and his courts. Because we all experience great trials. We all suffer. But as one author writes, most of the greatest gifts and the deepest joy that God gives us at times comes wrapped in painful packages. But there's still joy to be found in the midst of our pain. As John Piper writes, the opposite of joy is not suffering. It's despair in suffering. So we hold on to hope in our suffering, the hope of Christ and promises of his word, like we see here in verse 5, for the Lord is good. In 2 Corinthians 6, the Apostle Paul takes us through this long list of hardships that he endured, beatings, imprisonments, sleeplessness, hunger, yet he could still say in 2 Corinthians 6.10, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Joy is a fitting response to the goodness of the giver. Deuteronomy 26.11, you shall rejoice in all the good that the Lord your God has given to you. And we rejoice because of what we see here in verse 5. One of the most glorious words in all of Scripture. Pastor Roger pointed us to this word during his message on June the 2nd with the story of King David and Mephibosheth. Go back and listen online if, if you missed that message. But it's the word for loving kindness and grace that David showed to Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth. And it's the Hebrew word chesed. Okay, you say it like there's something caught in your throat, chesed. If you know only one Hebrew word, this is a great one to know because it speaks to God's covenantal, loyal, faithful love for you, his people. And not just his people in the past or for us today, but there in the Hebrew we see the word for generation twice. Literally, generation after generation, God will show his loyal love and kindness. Hesed is one of those Hebrew words with a meaning that we can't adequately capture in just one English word. Wrapped up in this little five-letter word are all of the positive attributes of God. His grace, his mercy, his kindness, his covenant love and faithfulness. What about you? Are others drawn 
to the love and grace, the hesed of Christ that they see in you? Do they see the joy of Christ on your face and on the tip of your tongue? What does your demeanor, what do you wor- your words and your attitude communicate? There's a story about Thomas Jefferson and a group of companions traveling across the country on horseback while Jefferson was in office as president. And at one point they come to a river and because of, re- of a recent downpour, the river had washed away the bridge and each rider was now forced to cross the river on horseback against some dangerous rapids. And there was another man there on the riverbank who was not a part of Jefferson's group. And this stranger didn't have a horse. And thus, no way of getting across the river himself. And the man, not recognizing President Jefferson, asked him if he could catch a ride across the river on the back of Jefferson's horse. And the president agreed without hesitation. And when the two men made it safely across the river, the stranger slides off the back of the saddle onto dry ground. And another man in the group asked the stranger, what made you ask the president for this favor? And the man was shocked because he had no idea who had just helped him. And the man replies, all I know is that on some of your faces was written the answer no. And on a few was the answer yes. His was a yes face. What's on your face? Is it a yes face? Is it a face of joy as you serve the Lord with gladness? Is it a face of contentment as you enter his gates with thanksgiving? Is it a face of peace as you praise him for his hesed, his loyal, faithful love for you? I just turned 44 last Sunday, so I guess I'm pushing 45. And before I know it, I will reach 50. And this last year has brought with it some gifts that I didn't necessarily ask for. <laughs> gifts of a, a few more patches of gray hair here at the, here at the temples and uh, more pronounced lines right here around the eyes, these crophy lines. But you know, that's okay. I like to think of them as more than just indicators of age or worry or signs of of raising teens, but lines that indicate care and concern for my family, for my church family, like like you all. I want them to be signs of eyes tightly closed in worship. Worship of our God who is always good, And always faithful. Signs of eyes tightly closed as I raise desperate prayers to God on your behalf. 
indicators of eyes that shed more tears of overwhelming humility. When I consider the work of Christ on the cross where God sent him to die for your sins and for mine. Eyes filling with more tears of joy as I contemplate the victory of the resurrection and the eternal life that awaits us with Jesus in glory if we simply place our faith and our trust in Christ alone. I pray that these lines would increase if they indicate lines of more laughter in this one life, a life of joy, a life of serving the Lord with gladness. Let's pray. Father God, we read of the Apostle Paul urging the Philippian believers, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. And Father, we too desire to rejoice in you always. Because we know that you are God, we can rejoice. Because we know that you made us, we can serve you with gladness. Because we know that we are your people, the sheep of your pasture, we can come into your presence with singing. Because we know that you are good, we can enter your gates with praise and thanksgiving. Because of your steadfast, loyal love, your hesed, we can enter your presence and worship you now and forever. And because we have seen your faithfulness in the past and assured of your goodness today and forevermore, we can give you all thanks and all praise. Father, we thank you once again for a a beautiful week. Father, I pray for anyone here who is not yet joined those 55 kids from this past week who made that decision to trust in Christ alone for eternal life. Father, would your spirit draw them to yourself in faith? Lord, would they answer that call? Would they simply say to you, I believe in you. I trust in you alone. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die on the cross for my sins and to give me eternal life if I simply place my faith and trust in you alone. Bring people to yourself today. And all God's people said, If I could pray for you in any way, please come and see me. I'll be right down here. We'll have prayer partners waiting for you as well. Go in peace now to love and serve the Lord with gladness.